now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello and a very good morning to you. Welcome to this week's Scotland's Talking. I'm Ali Bally, a bit croaky today, but we'll make our way through the next couple of hours. And on the programme today, are our politicians out of touch about how we feel about assisted dying? A poll shows 87% of Scots are apparently in favour of changing the law. But last time it went before the Scottish Parliament, four years ago, it was voted down. Has the balance of opinion shifted? We'll hear both sides of the argument. And after 11 o'clock, we'll speak to the MSP who thinks we should stop referring to convicted criminals as offenders. Daniel Johnson got a new law rewritten, so we call them relevant persons instead. Tell me what you think of that. And why are men still not being treated the same as women when they become parents? The Lib Dem MP Joe Swinson wants action on parental leave. The government does need to get on with it. Of course Brexit is hugely important, but people are having babies every single day. And we speak to dad blogger Colin Reid about whether blokes really want to take a year off work to look after their kids. They take them to parties and things like that and it can be sometimes only dad there and I see the other dads there sometimes who are there and they're standing in the corner in fear just playing with their phones. A lot to talk about this morning. Give us a call if you'd like to join us because, as always, it's all about opinions and I would love yours. Treble 3 2020 401. This is Scotland's Talking. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Now, first on Scotland's Talking today, I'm asking, is it time to look again at changing the law on assisted dying? Now, four years ago, a bill which was started by the late Margot MacDonald was rejected by the Scottish Parliament. But there was a poll published a few days ago which showed 87% of people in Scotland are now in favour. It would be for terminally ill people with less than six months to live and you'd need to get medical approval. The survey was commissioned for the campaign Dignity in Dying Scotland. Ali Thompson is the director. Good morning, Ali. Good morning. So, the whole um, campaign then, Dignity in Dying, uh, tell us about that first of all. So our campaign is to introduce new, safe and compassionate laws in Scotland that would allow terminally ill adults who are also mentally competent the choice of an assisted death. When really um, their suffering became unbearable, their pain was too much and palliative care was unable to help them anymore. And would the decision be theirs totally then? Completely. Yeah. Absolutely autonomous decision from beginning to end, from requesting an assisted death to actually administering the medication. That would be the person themselves. And that would be a really crucial safeguard that we would like to see as part of this new legislation. Right. At the moment, if someone wants to do this, what do they have to do? I mean, I've read about them going abroad. Does that happen? Do people actually go abroad to get that? Absolutely. Absolutely. At the moment, one person every eight days travels from the UK to Switzerland in order to end their life. It's a really, really bad system. First of all, it's discriminatory. Those who can't afford it or are too unwell to travel um, and don't want to die early when they're still, you know, have time left but would have to make that journey, Mm -hmm. end their life in this country, often alone and in traumatic circumstances. 
And we're saying that this can't continue, really. It's a very um, bad model which discriminates between rich and poor. It stops people having those open and honest conversations with their doctor. We know of people who've raised the issue of going to Switzerland with their, their GP and being really shut down. Doctors don't feel able to talk about it. It can criminalise grieving relatives who would travel to Switzerland to be with their loved ones in their last moment. And it it forces people, this is the, the real problem, it forces people to end their lives before they're ready. Can you understand doctors not wanting to talk about it in the fact that they, you know, they're they there to save lives, aren't they? They're not there to advise people how they're going to maybe end it. I would say that what doctors are there to do is to help people and when they're suffering unbearably, the kind of thing to do when someone is dying anyway would be to help them relieve that suffering in the way that they would wish. We know that this would be for a very small amount of people, those who are likely to face an incredibly bad death because of the condition that they have. At the moment, I fully understand that doctors feel really in the dark about this. There isn't a law that allows them to help their patients in this way. Mm -hmm. Now, this poll that was published, 87% uh, of people in Scotland now in favour of this. Did that surprise you, such a high amount? (laughs) Um, We speak to supporters every day. I I often remark to to friends that this is a a job I've got. I can go in any taxi and tell the driver what I do. and Oh, I fully support that, fully support that. We know we've got the support of the public on this. We know as well that the public are slightly ahead of the Scottish Parliament on this and what we're asking the people that really believe that those who are dying anyway should have the right to end their suffering in certain circumstances to do is to get in touch with their MSP and tell them why, why it matters to them, why it matters to their family and see if we can start to, to equalise opinion a bit. Okay, let's get uh, Kay Smith on the line now. Kay is from Co-Winning. Good morning, Kay. Good morning. Tell us about your story then, because what um, Ali's saying there um, is fairly relevant to you, isn't it? Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) I've been a nurse all my life, um, and I developed severe allergies about 18 years ago, but was still able to work. Um, And about three years ago, after an acute attack, I was diagnosed with lupus. And it's lupus SLE, which means that it's attacking my internal organs. And there is a treatment for it that should enable me to lead a fairly normal life. But unfortunately, the allergies that I'd developed previously, which are known as mast cell activation syndrome, stops me taking normal medication. And that medication includes all painkillers and antibiotics. Wow. And that means that I am expected, the surgical option has been removed, and I'm, because I wouldn't survive any operation. Um, So therefore, my my prognosis is that I would be expected to die of sepsis. And sepsis, the only treatment for it, obviously, is antibiotics Mm -hmm. and painkillers, and neither would be available to me. So having the nursing and medical background that you have, does that mean, Kay, that you've understood more of what is going on than, let's say, me or another person who 
who you know would would get this and not quite fully understand what's going on. Have you you ever had a grasp of this right from the start? I grasped the understanding of it immediately because um, part of my um, career I was working in a palliative care setting and I was introducing the end of life care pathway into hospitals um, and I sat with a lot of patients through the last 24 hours of their life um, and I know that it's a very traumatic time etc for families and sometimes the pain relief that we're giving them just doesn't touch where it needs to and a lot of patients die in extreme pain and distress and I think that this law is for those people. It's not for everybody's choice, mm-hmm. but because of my personal circumstances, it would definitely be a choice that I would like to make and a choice that I'd like to have to give me peace of mind before it gets to the situation where it's about to occur. So it's because really you, you've been able, you've seen this through, you've seen people um, in pain and you just think to yourself, I don't want to go through that. I've seen people die of sepsis, and right. it's absolutely horrendous. Um, when we can't treat them any longer, um, you, the extremities start to get gangrenous, etc. Um, and it sort of works its way into the internal organs and eventually stops the heart. Um, and it's a horrible, nasty death. And the one thing that would traumatise everybody is your body starts to rot. So obviously nobody wants to come near you because of the smell. Mm. And I just think that for my two young daughters, they're not young, young, they're young ladies, but for them, for my husband, even my father, to ha- you know have to endure that and watch me dying in such a horrendous way, it's going to traumatise them for the rest of their life. And I, I should say, you're, you're a fairly young woman, aren't you? You're not, uh, you're in your early 50s? Uh, yeah, I'm 55. Yeah. <laughs> it's... it's I I I think the way you're 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 um, coping from what you're saying here, you know what's ahead of you, uh, yes, and, and that is again because I think a lot of your your medical training, you know what is ahead of you. Uh, yes. wh- what have the 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 doctors, as far as um, uh, saying to you, right? What's your 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 life now? What are you in? You're in a wheelchair, is that right? I'm in a wheelchair because part of lupus, um, you you have a sort of cascading effect, so you get other autoimmune deficiencies. So I became diabetic. I developed psoriatic arthritis, so my spine collapsed, um, hence the wheelchair. I also developed psoriasis for the first time in my life. Um, so there's different things happen uh, as the lupus progresses. I have problems internally with my liver. Um, it's got so enlarged that it's pressed against the pancreas, stops producing insulin. I have stage CB kidney failure, bladder involvement, bowel involvement, etc. So it's eaten away most of my internal organs are affecting most of my internal organs. So far, my lungs, my brain and my heart are free. Um, but at any time, there could be a perforation because the tissue of the bladder and the bowel are so fr- is so friable. If there's a perforation, then it's sepsis. Right. And how does your husband and family feel about what you feel and how you feel the way ahead is? Um, my husband's been on this journey with me from day one. Um, he doesn't like to think about it, but he knows every day. We've been through the grieving process, mm-hmm. um, and he knows that it will 
it's inevitable that it will happen. Um, he, he is helping me fulfill my bucket list. And um, we face each day on a daily basis. And when it happens, I have the peace of mind of knowing that he's going to be with me. He's going to carry it through, right. Yeah. OK. Uh, let's go back to, to Ali Thompson, as I say, Director for Dignity in Dying Scotland. Is this the type of story you're hearing every day then, Ali? Um, sadly, yes. We hear from people like Kay, who know what's ahead and really just want that peace of mind, like Kay said, to be able to live just now while she's dying, free from the worry that the end could be really traumatic for her and for her family. We also hear a lot from people who've lost somebody that they love in particularly bad circumstances. And it's been the experience of, of that, of really watching somebody in, in agony, begging them to help and being unable to, that bring a lot of people to support Dignity in Dying and Assisted Dying. They've seen it themselves and they don't want it to happen to anybody else. Hmm. Um, where does it go from here then? Uh, you, you've got that poll that shows 87% of people in Scotland now are in favour of this, but how do you plan to turn that into turning around the minds of the MSPs? What we'd really like is people who've had experience of this issue themselves to get in touch with their MSP and explain to them just why it matters so much to them and why we need change in Scotland change like there's been in other countries around the world, you know, where we've got safe and humane assisted dying laws that protect vulnerable people but really, really help those most in need of of this help when facing a bad death. Dignity in Dying with um, partner organisations, Friends at the End and the Human Society Scotland will be working within the Parliament. We're there most weeks, we're there daily at the moment. Mm -hmm and um, speaking to MSPs about just how they can craft the right law for Scotland, one which helps our dying citizens, gives them this right that so many other people around the world have, but protects anybody who might be feeling more vulnerable to such a law. Right. OK, Ali, thank you very much indeed for, for coming on and telling us about that. Let's go back to KK. It, it's not law at the moment, so, you know... I, I, how does it affect you knowing that, that what you want to happen is not going to happen as far as law is concerned? I, I see the momentum building. I doubt very much if it will happen in my lifetime. But I'd like to le leave a legacy for the future generations that nobody else will have to go through what people are currently having to go through. I would like that message to be made loud and clear. Everybody at some point in their life has to see a, a relative die or a close parent or sibling, etc. And some patients have peaceful deaths, but there's a lot of patients out there where even hospices can't give them the peaceful death. Um, one of the other campaigners went through absolute agony watching her husband die for two or three months. Um, and I'd like to know that in the future... The option was there for people to take the choice early on. And if they got into that situation, the choice was there for them. We all have a story to tell. Our lives are a story. I've had some good chapters. I've had some wonderful, bad chapters, <laughs> wonderful chapters. But when we read a story, we're all looking for the happy ending. Right. I would like to be able 
to leave other people with a happy ending. Okay, just hang on there for a moment because uh, joining us is Gordon McDonalds from the group Care Not Killing, which is against any change. Gordon, good morning to you. Good morning. Um, hearing what Kay's got to say there, um, is there, there any way that uh, you understand where she's coming from? Well, I mean, I didn't actually hear um, the vast bulk of what Kay had to say because I, I only just right, came on okay. at the last minute there. Right. But, um, but I would say that, you know, we do understand the concerns people have about, um, you know, death and, and the dying process. And we would say that, you know, there are um, excellent palliative care provisions in this country, but we need more investment in palliative care. And that's where the major problem lies, is the, the, the lack of consistent and, uh, and sufficient investment in palliative care across the whole of the country, and particularly in general hospitals and in the community. Well, Kay has been involved in, in palliative care in, in her in her career. Would you agree, Kay, that more investment is required into that sector of the health service? In a social care setting, I think there should be more palliative teams that can offer support, um, etc., to patients who are palliative. Um, to the gentleman from Care Not Killing, there's not a hospice, not a palliative care team involved in my care because only one in three of us die of cancer and I know palliative is available for other treatments um, but I have yet to meet a palliative care nurse. I'm not terminal but my terminal event can happen at any time and there's not a hospice or a palliative team could actually assist me once my terminal event starts. Um, What you missed um, sir, was the fact that I am allergic to painkillers and I am allergic to um, antibiotics, and I'm expected to die of sepsis. So with the best will in the world, and with the Marie Curie nurses, etc., there is nothing they could do for me in particular. And I know that certain, certain cancers, there is not a painkiller on this earth will touch that cancer. So I agree wholeheartedly we need more investment. I agree also would put forward that there are certain cases where, unfortunately, you cannot help. And in those cases, there has to be made available a choice. I have spoke to my... um, I understand your background as theology, sir. Um, And I have spoke to my church. And in the words, no God would allow that amount of pain on this world. Gordon, the the poll that came out says that um, 87% of people in Scotland are now in favour of changing the law and assistant dying. Um, What would you say to these people that voted for that? I mean, 87% is quite a a high percentage, isn't it? Well, I think that the first thing to say is that opinion polls are not necessarily the the best way to gauge uh, informed public opinion because when you put the counter-argument, um, uh, what we find is, is that support for assisted suicide and euthanasia falls off dramatically. So, for example, the last time uh, an opinion poll came out that did that, we found that only 43% of people supported it and 43% opposed it once the five major arguments were put to them. So I think it is actually more complicated than the headline figures show. But the, the big concern really is, is that, that people feel themselves to be a burden, either um, financial burden on the family or financial burden on the NHS 
or in other ways. Um, and therefore, they come under pressure or feel or put themselves under pressure to commit suicide prematurely. And that clearly is the, is the main concern that people have, or that the public have. Over you know, 51% of people in a recent poll said that they would be concerned that if assisted suicide was legalized, that people would feel that they were a burden and, and so take their own life. And in Oregon, we see that 55% of people who do take their own life do so because they feel themselves to be a burden. And I think that that's not really a message that we should be sending out to society. We need to care for people at the end of life. We need to show them that they are valued and loved and do what we can for them. And there are a few um, cases, you know, where it's very difficult. And uh, in the vast bulk of cases, um, palliative care can can help people. Mm. Gordon, you mentioned the when the five arguments are put to the five main points. What is the main one? Give me one of the give me the the main point that you you would make uh, against this then. Well, the main point that, that people have concerns about is that people who are vulnerable feel themselves to be a burden and therefore, um, and possibly they may well be depressed or have other um, issues around that too. And so they then feel under pressure to commit suicide. But there are others as well, such as the fact that it changes the relationship between the doctor and the patient or between nursing staff and the patient. Um, there's a lot of concern about that, particularly in the medical profession, but also amongst patients. There's concern about the cost, the financial cost of treatment, and certainly in other countries we've seen situations where people have been offered assisted suicide on their medical insurance, but not treatment for cancer um, to be covered. And, you know, there are there are a range right. of reasons that that people, um, you know, are concerned about. Right. Well, let's open up the phone lines at 033 What is your thoughts then on assisted dying? 87% in this new poll of people in Scotland are now in favour. Uh, Gordon MacDonald, there from Care Not Killing. Thank you very much indeed for joining us and, and putting your point. And also to, to KK, thank you very much indeed for telling us your story. Um, and we wish you all the very best. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Okay, O Treble Three Twenty Twenty Four O One. Tell me, what do you think? You're listening to Scotland's Talkin' the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. So we're asking this morning: Is it time to look again at changing the law on assisted dying? Four years ago, a bill which was started by the late Margot Macdonald was rejected by the Scottish Parliament. But there was a poll published a few days ago which showed 87% of people in Scotland are now in favour. Are you in favour or are you against? O treble three twenty twenty four o one is the telephone number if you'd like to join us on the programme this morning. Michelle has dialed that number. Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Good morning. Um, I've made a pact with, with my mum when we watched my dad dying of cancer that if she ended up with the same disease that I would give her pills to end her life. Are you not it's, concerned then? I, I understand you making that pact with your mum, and particularly if you've gone through I, that I couldn't situation. get through with it. I couldn't get through with it. Oh, right, right. So has, um, it, so has it happened? Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes. She passed away. Oh, um, right, right. Prince okay. and Prince went to Wales Hospice. Great be place. But um, I couldn't do it. Another reason being, um, I'm a single parent. I've not got thousands in the bank to get through my mum's funeral. If I had given her pills and it showed up that it was an overdose of morphine, 
then her life insurance wouldn't have paid out. And you would have been in the jail? Yep. As the law stands at the moment? As the law stands at the moment, but these people need to look and look, being people at my shoes mm-hmm. and see people dying in front of you and there's nothing you can do legally um, just to try and because it's it's a sad, sad process. When you watch your, your parents dying in front of your eyes, it's terrible. And there should be assisted suicide that you're not going to get prosecuted. And that's... My mother didn't want to go the way she did. She was a very, very proud woman. You said that you, you and your mother had made that pact... Um, yep. When your mum got to that stage that uh, she was terminally ill and going through a lot of pain, uh, did yep. she did she expect you to act on that pact, or did she understand that the the problems that would have caused for you once she'd gone? No, what had happened was the cancer had went to her brain, so that her brain was nearly thinking properly, um, and. I've got other family, so when I'm showing my mum's up in my house staying, um, I had a wee baby that was only weeks old, I've got family up and I'm going, I don't know what else to do. She's telling them all I'm doing is getting her pills, getting her pills. And by that point, point, her brain had, Mm. the cancer had attacked that as well. She wasn't really, Um, she wasn't understanding what was going on then? Yep, Mm. yep, at that point, yeah. But that woman Carey was on, goodness me, I had a tear in my eye. She is such a phenomenal lady. And she's asking for this rule to be changed because there's somebody that's still alive that wants to die with a bit of dignity and not be worrying about what's going to happen to other people or... Anything like that. Mm-hmm. She's a very, very strong lady, and oh, my heart goes out to her. Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 I think as well, Michelle, for Kay, the, the background that she has in, in medical uh, terms, yep. being a nurse and having nursed people who were in the, the last few days, um, has given her the, well, I don't want to go like that attitude. And um, you know that's exactly it. And mm-hmm. these MPs, I mean, Margot McDonald, she fought for this, and I really do believe that they should just have a wee insight into her. We are thinking and saying, well, do you know what? If that's the way people want to go, then that's the way they want to go. They don't want to be there on their own with some stranger or let their family grieving. Um, because they, they can't do anything to help. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Okay, Michelle, thank you very much indeed for, for coming on with your point of view. Tommy, what do you think? Good morning. Um, hi, good morning, Ali. Um, definitely I have a lot of sympathy for sort of both perspectives on it. Uh, my real issue with it is it's anything that sort of politicians get involved in that um, has an impact on the economy, follow the money, you know, I'm suspicious of them. I think 
the, the financial burden of elderly care. This would be the start of the slippery slope. I mean, I'm not talking about in like the sort of the heartrending sort of examples that have been raised, where you can understand the argument. But what happens in 20 years' time when it's happening willy nilly? Um, and who's deciding that it's okay? I mean, people can be pressured behind the scenes. They can feel uh, emotionally that they're a burden, never mind financially. I, I just think this is the start of the slippery slope, and I think it's something that we need to guard against vehemently. Uh, I don't trust the politicians, mm-hmm. and I don't trust the medical profession, to be honest with you either. So you think it could be used as a, a way of an excuse in some way? Um, to, I think... To, yeah, financially. Almost certainly evolve into that and that's that's the thing anything that starts off as a sort of semi-good idea that you've got a good iron for and you can see with anything that politicians legislate for it's just the back door it's then they just start piling in and it you know look at abortion for instance that's a, a good example it's now used as a contraceptive that was never what it was intended for look at the anti-terror laws that's not what it was intended for it's just it's like a foot in the door for them and I think in 20, 30, 40, 50 years' time, it would almost be expected that, right, you're just now a person. Um, why don't you go to the clinic? No, it would be a sad situation. Tommy, thank you very much indeed for for your thoughts. What are yours? Do you agree with Tommy or do you agree with Michelle? One for and one against there. O treble three twenty twenty four oh one. Let's have your opinions on assisted dying. And once again... I'm asking the question, is it time to look again at changing the law on assisted dying? 87% of people in a poll published a couple of days ago in Scotland are now in favour of it. If you're in favour of it, did what Tommy said there sort of stop you in your tracks and and think to yourself, well, maybe he's right. You know, would it just be a case of, uh, well, you know, they're getting on a bit now and they're a bit dottery, so let's just, you know, maybe you should just head off to the clinic now. Would you then be deciding for your your relatives or or, or or family? Would you be making the decision then as to when they should die or should it just be the person themselves but that making that decision? Strong arguments in, in both sides. What do you think? treble three twenty twenty four oh one. that's the number. Scotland's talking the podcast, and I've been asking the question: Is it time to look again at changing the law on assisted dying? Uh, quite a few comments coming in uh, on social media as well as calls, which is good. Linda, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, Linda. Right, what, what's your thoughts on this then? Uh, my thoughts originally on it were: Yes, it should be uh, allowed. Um, me and my mum, we made a pact for her because um, she said she would never want to live that way. Mm. And then she knew it would get me into trouble. And I said, that's fine. I was quite happy to do that for my mum. And then my mum was diagnosed as being terminally ill. And... The first thing she wanted to do was live. And she asked all these different uh, people, is there nothing new coming on the market? Is there nothing that can give me, you know, longer? Is there? And we decided then that, no, that's not what she wanted to do. 
And because we never done that, she had her last of everything. She had her last birthday, last Halloween, last family birthdays, videos of a new grandchild coming, and she would never, she would have missed all that had we went ahead and done what we spoke about. So I've kind of went from, yeah, I would help you to, you know what, you're going to miss so much Mm -hmm. if, if you don't fight it out. That's right. If, if, if you fight Sorry. it, if, if you fight it, then um, it's, you just don't know whether you're going to get that extra time, do you? That that's it. And yeah. even if it's just one more grandchild, or just one more birthday, or just one more, it, she's never going to see those smiling faces that's happening in her children's life. And me now being a mum feels that. Mm. That is worth so much. Yeah. You know, and she done the right thing in the end, but it was hard to watch. And did she did she die in a but, lot of did she pass in a lot of, of pain? Um probably not in not in the end. Uh the she was just pumped full of uh pain medication and had a week at home um talking spending actual proper time with people and speaking to them and and telling them it was going to be okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. And um, she was a strong woman to do that to her growing-up kids, you know. So, um, so how yeah. ha- having gone through that then, uh, Linda, um, what would be your reaction today to... The, the suggestion that the Scottish Parliament change the rules here? Do you think it should be staying as it is? Or do you think the 87% of people in Scotland who now say they're in favour of it, if they were actually to, to be faced with it, they might change their mind like you? Um, I would leave it as it is. I, I don't think... Um, I mean, my mum, she, like, would change her mind so many times and, you know, and even if we had acted on the one time where she had said, you know, I wish I could have done that, and then the next minute our grandkids are running in for school and she's smiling and she's hearing about their day and, they're, you know, making their pictures and doing all these things that she just loved, um, then I think for the sad days that she had, the good ways completely outweighed it. So I would prob I would be against it. Right. But I do think like having the place is it Sweden, then I mean keep that and people who go with their doctor's blessings and everything that they want to do, then that sh- then that should be their way. Well, it's their choice then. Go. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's their choice and they are making a clear-cut decision and it's made over a certain length of time. It's not just they've made the decision, papers signed. You know, they think about it for so long and, you know, in the thinking about it, maybe a month down the line, it would have been completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I would probably leave it where it leave is, it where and, it is. And give, right. give the people their choice to travel if that's what they're wanting to do and to go with 
um, the doctor's blessings there. Okay, Linda. Thank you very much indeed for coming on and telling me uh, your your story and, and your experience. Thank you for that. So we've been talking about uh, changing the law on assisted dying. If you still want to comment on that, that's fine. Uh, in the next hour, we'll be looking at this question. What should we call someone who commits a crime? I bet you can think of a few things to call them. But let's start with the word offender. Um. There is a possibility, I think, of uh, of political correctness coming in here. I don't know. We're going to find out a bit more about it. Uh, Labour MSP for Edinburgh South, Daniel Johnson, has requested a change that uh, an offender is no longer called an offender or a criminal, but is called a relevant person. So why do we need that change? And do you think that is political correctness just gone wrong. So we'll be we'll be doing that after the news at 11. And also, is it time the equality revolution has ext- was extended to fathers? The drinks giant Diageo says it's going to offer new dads the same parental leave rights as mums who work for the company. That's a year off work with six months on full pay. But do the majority of dads want that? O treble three twenty twenty four oh one. And before we go into the news, just a couple of comments coming in on social media on the assisted dying. Louise, good morning to you. She says assisted dying would need to be very, very strictly regulated as it could be open to abuse, particularly if any relatives stand to inherit a substantial amount. Now, there's something, isn't it? Yeah, I hear what you're saying there. Uh, Liz, thank you for getting in touch. Says what a brave lady Kay was to come on the radio show to speak about assisted dying, especially when it involves her own life. I think Scotland needs this law as there are too many people dying in so much pain that they should be able to slip away in a dignified way and their family will remember them dying in a peaceful way and not an excruciating way. Thanks for that, Liz. And finally, one at the moment. How long before the arbitrary age limit is set where we are deemed too old or frail and therefore no longer productive enough? And through promotion of it being a compassionate move, the young become agreeable to helping us on our way. Plan a nice farewell celebration and after party after we take the pill. Thank you for that. Your comments on the subject of assisted dying. The news is next. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. I'm Ali Bally. A very good morning to you. In the last hour, we were talking about the, the poll that's come out uh, that shows 87% of people in Scotland are now in favour of assisted dying. One anonymous um, email coming in here uh, it says the topic sends shivers up my spine. However, if someone wants to give up due to terminal pain, etc., they could take their own life. Uh, uh, however, in a, in, in a, in a, with strict accordance with medical professionals, it absolutely should be allowed in special circumstances. Uh, obviously, we need to avoid the nonsense cases. Thank you for that. Um, uh, on the line, I've got Liz. Hello, Liz. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. Good. Full of the cold, but what the heck. Right. Now, what's your thoughts on this, then, Liz? I believe it's already happening. Really? Yes. I have got a relative who we get took into a room and get told, Ada, a week and a half left to live. 
we brought him home to the house. We gave him the medication that they gave us. I was getting iller and iller. Mm-hmm. We decided to take him off the medication. A year, and a, a year later, he's still alive. What was the the push for you, Liz, to take him off the medication? Because that's not something a lot of people would do to go against what the doctors have prescribed. We realised every time he was getting the medication, he was iller. He was becoming very ill every time he took it. Right. And he was asking us to stop it. I don't want the medication. And we decided, we were told that he was getting agitated. And each time he was getting agitated, he didn't want his medication. That he was, he was to get it. Mm-hmm. And we decided we're going to try it. And we took him off it. That was a year past in March. He's still alive. Wow, and what what is um, his standard the of life? The hospital staff, the hospital staff, they came out to the house, put their hands up, and they said they've got it wrong. Really? Yes. And we can't do nothing about it. We've had a lawyer in to see if there's anything we can do. Nothing we can do. We got his medical records. We look through them. We don't agree with them. And we know a lot of it is not right in the medical records. He was only in just less than a week. He got put on pads and a bag in him, a catheter bag. And there was no no need for it at all. He had a bad heart. Right. So at the end of the day, though, that you, you should be able to feel that you justified in what you did and the fact that... And is the standard of life now good? No, it's not good. Not good, right. Because he lay in his bed that long because we thought he was dying. Uh-huh. He was unable to walk. We did manage to get him up after a couple of months lying in the bed and his walking was very, very poor and it was a stain on him. But if we would have known earlier, that man would have been up and that man would have been walking. Liz, I know you were a bit uh, nervous about coming on, but thank you very much indeed for doing that, for lifting the phone and coming on and talking to us and telling us your experience as well. Thank you for that. Um, As I say, if you've got a comment on the assisted dying subject that we've been talking about, then still time to contact us. 033-2020. 401. Uh, maybe should add at this point that my guest next week on the programme will be the Health Minister, Gene Freeman. So you can put any questions you like, particularly regarding some hospitals that have been um, uh, in publicity recently and, and infections, etc. So we'll be talking about that next week and she'll be here to take uh, your calls as well. And Jean's been on the programme uh, previously a couple of times under a, a previous hat that she wore. Um, so I, I know that she uh, will take those calls and will answer them as uh, clearly as she can. So that's on next week, Scotland's Talking. Here's a question for you. What should we call someone who commits a crime? Right, let's start with the word offender. Never mind the rest of them you're shouting at the radio. The dictionary defines the word as meaning a person who commits an illegal act. But now... 
is being written out of a new law going through the Scottish Parliament because of fears it will stigmatise them. Instead, it will be replaced with relevant person. Is this another case of political correctness going too far? The Labour MSP for Edinburgh South, Daniel Johnson, requested the change, so I've asked him to come on to Scotland's Talking this morning to tell us why. Uh, Daniel, a very good morning to you. Sorry, Daniel, I lost you there. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, got you now. Got you now, right. Fantastic. So, what's behind this then, Daniel? It does seem a bit, you know... Yeah, well, let, let me let me correct you just very slightly, because this bill isn't about how we describe people who either have committed crimes or are being sentenced, to, or even really when they're in prison. This is about what we should, how we should describe them when they come out of prison. The, the Management of Offenders Bill, which is where this is coming from, is really all about what happens to someone when they're released from prison. It's about uh, electronic tagging, parole, and also disclosure of convictions. And so, uh, really, the, the, the point of my proposals, and this actually stems from something that the SNP, Scottish Government, came forward with, is once someone has reached that stage, when they're out of prison, when they've done their time, how do we describe them? And I think what we should be doing is giving them absolutely every opportunity to change their lives and move on with their lives that we can. And I think if we continue to describe them as offenders once they're out of prison, we're really not going to do them any favours at all. So that's the point of the, the proposals that I brought forward. Do you understand the view, though, that if they, they, they once they have, um, I suppose, committed the crime and done the time, and they're, they're coming out, it's up to them then to, to get on with their lives and to prove that they're not going to re-offend. But as, as far as the... Um, they are concerned, they are offenders, they are previous offenders, and it's up to them to to clear that record, is it not? Previous offenders, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Ali. You know, they've done their time, and I think they've earned the right, having done their time, to to move forward. Now, if they don't take those opportunities that are afforded them at the end of the prison, absolutely, there should be swift and robust response. Indeed, I've got other amendments which talk about making a, a, a crime and, and indeed making sure that time gets added on if people do things like cut their tags off. But I think when they have done their time, when they've come out of prison, they should be given that opportunity to, to take a different path. Now, I mean, Ali, I put it, I put it like this to you. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, should I refer to you as a, a pupil or, a, or an ex-pupil? I'm guessing you went to school, but does it make much sense to continue to describe you in those terms once you've finished your, your schooling? I think it's a sort of very comparable situation with the word offender here. I went to school, but I didn't commit the crime. No, but you're, I, you, you, you're no longer in school, and I'm assuming you'd find it a bit odd if I continue to talk about you as a pupil or an ex-pupil. So where has the term relevant person come from then? I mean, I think it's just a, 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 a bit of legal terminology so that we're clear about who we're referring to. Um, and, and really, it's just a, a legal technicality. Mm. You see, that legal technicality, here's, here's where it bothers me. Mm-hmm. In the children's hearing system in Scotland, the term relevant person is used at the moment to describe, let's say, a birth parent who is automatically a relevant person. Also mm-hmm. used... For other people, they can be deemed relevant persons by the hearing 
if they have or have recently had significant involvement in the upbringing of the child, such as a step-parent or a grandparent. Now, I'm not sure these people, most of whom have never been near a court in their life, will like being confused with offenders. So, so I, I would doubt they would be. I mean, really, all that, that term is is about having uh, a particular definition within a law and then all the subsequent definitions through it referring back to that. I mean, it, it is, and I'm sure there's lots of examples of where people are described in law for, in all sorts of ways as relevant persons. Uh, and that doesn't mean that they are to be confused with those other categories of people. You could have the, the two of them appearing in a hearing. You could have a relevant person who's, who's a parent or whatever, and then someone coming in um, who, who's a relevant person, meaning a totally different thing, i.e. an ex-criminal. But look, very specifically, if we're talking about hearings, this bit of legislation doesn't talk about people who are at that stage of the criminal justice system. This is talking about people who are at the other end of the criminal justice system coming out of prison. So that that particular point there about that confusion just simply doesn't arise out of uh, this particular bit of legislation. Okay. Uh, John Muir is an anti-knife campaigner whose son Damien was stabbed to death in Greenock some 12 years ago. John, good morning to you. Um, what What is your thoughts? Oh, sorry. No, he's not there. I, I, my apologies. Uh, I, I thought uh, we had something there. Right. Okay. Um, he's not with us at the moment. Okay, so let's let's go back to to Daniel then. So for those who are suggesting, Daniel, that this is um, really going soft on criminals, you don't agree with that, obviously. Not at all. Uh, and I think if you look at the the broad sweep of the the amendments that I brought forward, I, I don't think you could accuse me of that. Uh, you know, given that that I'm wanting to make it more robust when people break. The, the conditions of the release when they don't take those opportunities. I mean, I think that there really should be swift uh, and, and very robust responses to that, such as adding on uh, time spent at large if people remove their tags. So, I mean, I think it is about having a, a balance. I think it's about giving people an opportunity once they've done their time. But it's also that when they don't take those opportunities, you, you really respond pretty quickly and, and uh, pretty robustly. Right, so if they, they become, you know, once they're released, um, then the words used, relevant persons, if they then commit a crime, then you're saying come down hard on them and they're being back to being a criminal or offenders. Absolutely, but, you, you know, you've got to give them the, the opportunity. But I think, you know, once you've done your time, I mean, that's a pretty well understood concept. You, you need to be given that opportunity to, to start your life again. Okay, thank you very much indeed for coming on and explaining it. Uh, most appreciated. That's no MSP problem, no. for Edinburgh South, Daniel Johnson. Daniel, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thank you. I will do. Thank you thank very you much. Thank you very much indeed. So, what Bye. do you think then? O Treble 3 2020 401. Is Daniel correct? Is, you know, that piece of legislation, is it changing it to, to relevant person instead of offender or instead of criminal? Is that the next step forward? Is it um, allowing the the person who has committed the crime, who's now come out, maybe served their sentence, and now saying, right, I want to get on with my life, is, is Daniel right in giving them that extra opportunity, as you're saying, so we will no longer um, have that uh, tag or the words criminal or offender on them? What do you think? 
Treble 3, 2020 Jonathan, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Ali. Morning, Jonathan. How are you? Yeah, not bad this morning. How are you're you? Good. I'm okay. I'm okay. Right. So, what do you think then? Well, he is correct about it. Politically correct, that is. Um, how on earth are we going to have to refer to criminals otherwise when the word offender is taken away? I mean, mm-hmm. I can understand some points of where he's coming from when people can get wrongly charged by the system, but we don't always need to have the word re- relative persons included. I mean, we cannot, it's always up to the people to decide what words they can use rather than just state involved. So do you think this is a step too far or does it another case of us suggesting that uh, our politicians are out of touch with what generally the public think? Well, he shouldn't even want to even put... It's going too far with even trying to criminalise people with using that word. I mean, it's politically correct madness. I mean, if it, I mean, if this guy, uh, Daniel Johnson, was to move to some place where there's political correctness involved, maybe we should start with Canada. Maybe it's leading the way with certain politically correct words here and there that uh, probably could buck the trend when he goes there. Right, so you, you're um, not for it at all then? Nope, not for it at all. I mean, why on earth should the state have a say in what words we should refer to criminals rather than just the people? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting, Jonathan. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Jonathan Rainey there with his thoughts. What's yours? O treble three twenty twenty four zero one is the number, and other ways you can get in contact. Of course, you can text six one zero five four. Start your message with Ali. Email Ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk. Scotland's talking the podcast. Scotland's talking on a Sunday morning is coming up on eleven thirty. Uh, that question then, what should we call someone who commits a crime? Uh, according to the Labour MSP for Edinburgh South, Daniel Johnson, he has requested that they no longer be called offenders or criminals, but be called relevant persons. Uh, some comments coming in on social media. And one says, ignorant MSP saying that he is talking about different ends of the criminal justice system rehearings. Hearings are held for children from birth, uh, from birth regarding care and protection, of which there are far more hearings than for young people who have offended. Another one that says, I cannot believe what I'm hearing regarding this rubbish on offenders. Some make a mistake and can get a second chance, but others, such as the horrific crime in Rossi, for example, we're supposed to class people like that as relevant persons. The MSP should resign immediately. That comes from Kenny. Thank you very much indeed for that. If you have a comment on it, uh, your thoughts regarding uh, offenders no longer being called offenders or no longer called criminals, but called relevant persons. Treble 3 2020 401 is the number if you'd like to contact and you'd like to comment. Moving on, and we've quite a few coming through on social media, which I'll get to, but I also want to introduce this subject because you might some dads and some mums might have a, a view on this one. Is it time the equality revolution was extended to dads? The drinks giant Diageo says it's going to offer new dads the same parental leave rights as mums who work for the company. That's a year off work with six months on full pay. 
It comes as the deputy leader of the Lib Dems and East Dumbartonshire MP Joe Swinson tries to get a private member's bill through the Commons to change the law. She's been speaking to our reporter Georgie Perdomo for Scotland Sokin. Dads play a hugely important role in their children's lives, but we are still needing to do so much more to make that easier for them. And we also need to make it easier for dads throughout their working lives to be able to have the flexibility to combine their work and their parenting responsibilities. And that's about making flexible working uh, more available to, to more workers too. Tell me what needs to happen with shared parental leave to make it more accessible for everyone. So shared parental leave is uh, not yet available to everybody so I think it should be extended to people who are self-employed and also to people who have just started in a new job in the same way that you have maternity leave as a right from your first day of a new job. Um, There's also a a pay element that's part of the problem with shared parental leave because there's a big financial issue. Now there's a lot of great employers that are enhancing their shared parental pay in the same way that they do maternity pay. Companies like Aviva, Diageo just this week came out with a really uh, good pay policy. So there's some good examples, but we do need more companies to do the same. And one of the things that I've proposed is transparency in parental pay policies for all large employers to have to publish that information so that people don't have to ask that awkward question at interview, by the way, what's your parental pay policy, which many people understandably are reluctant to do. And it would also force companies to really assess if they've got different pay policies for men and women taking parental leave, whether they can really justify that. And going forward, what are your hopes in Parliament trying to get this through? Obviously, right now, everything is just held up by Brexit. Well, of course, this review of shared parental leave should have happened last year, so it's already a year overdue. The government does need to get on with it. Of course, Brexit is hugely important, but people are having babies every single day, and it's important for those parents to be able to get the maximum flexibility and ability to have that time with their new babies and that bonding. Those early weeks and months, you don't get them back, so the government does need to get on with this. Our reporter, Georgie Prodromo, uh, for Scotland's talking there, talking to the deputy leader for the Lib Dems and Eastern Bartonshire MP Joe Swinson, obviously talking in a, a very busy and packed tea room in the House of Commons. Now, if you're a dad, would you have liked that? Would you have taken a year off when your kids were born if your boss had let you? And if you're a mum, tell me if that would have made a difference to you. Or would he just have got under your feet? Colin Reeds writes the Scottish Dad Life blog. He told our reporter Leslie DiMassio, shared parental leave is fine in theory, but it needs to make financial sense. If all things are equal, um, and unfortunately because of the whole kind of equal pay issue you have, that actually a lot of the times the, the jobs and positions aren't equal in the first place. If we have equal pay and women and men are viewed equally in the workplace from the start, then all this other conversation is made a lot easier because everyone's equally valued. And so it means that, you know, straight away there's the, the, the money impact, financial impact doesn't even come into it because actually you're just thinking about what's best for the family and for the children. I find it interesting that, you know, I'm full-time, my husband's full-time, but the school ask for my number, and I'm fine with that. But then the dancing class ask for my number and my email, and, and the woman is... Rightly or wrongly, they are kind of viewed as the, the first go-to parent. I think it's all part of the same conversation because actually, because the, the mum who's, is the one who's taking that time off work to then take the children to these clubs and to take them to nursery, 
they then are the first point of contact who ends up being the person who who the school will be in touch with. Whereas actually, I, I for my children, take them to a, a, a club on a Saturday morning, every Saturday morning, and, and and we've now switched it so that I'm the communication person for that. So the WhatsApp group, the emails, and, and the mobile phone number, it's all me now because I'm the one who takes them to that. So I think I think it's I think this will all all change when equal leave starts because then everybody will be sharing responsibilities. You know, you go to all these clubs. I, I did them all with my toddler because uh, my baby because I was the one on maternity leave and I was the female and there was loads of women at these groups. Do you think men would be intimidated like if they did share parental leave? Yeah, and things it's all part of the same thing. The more people do it, the more it becomes a norm. I mean, I take my boys to clubs and I take them to parties and things like that and I can be sometimes the only dad there and I see the other dads there sometimes who are there and they're standing in the corner in fear just playing with their phones and not interacting. Or they're accompanied by their wife. Or they're accompanied by their, by their can't, wife. Can't yeah. do it on their own. Yeah, whereas I kind of, I'm, I'm quite lucky so I'm just, gobby and then talk to anybody anyway but but i think i think it's it's because it's not the norm the more society treats us all and accepts that there were, were even parents in all aspects none none of this will be uh, alien to anybody interesting couple of points there uh, dad's going along to baby rhyme time would you fancy doing that dad um or is it something you you know you you shy away from anyway and say no no that's that's not me so if you were a dad or becoming a dad, um, how would you feel about getting that year off? It's, it's, I suppose, very attractive initially, but is it, I would not want to have taken a year off work. So there, you know, I'll, I'll hold my hand up and say, no, I would not want to take a year off work. Um, is that me avoiding parental responsibility? Quite a variety of subjects this morning and uh, Gus has uh, just sent a little note in on email here. Thanks, Gus. It did make me smile. He says, regarding offenders, if we have career criminals, will they now be repeat named persons? You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. The question on uh, parents or dads getting extended leave, uh, Jeff comes in on social media and says, absolutely not. Uh, It's been a few years since my last one was born, but I wouldn't want a year off. Doesn't say why, but he just wouldn't want that year off. Diane, on the other hand, says, no, absolutely not. Uh, The the mums get time to bond and get time off, and we don't need dads under our feet as well. But surely dads would get the time to bond as well, Diane. Is, Is that not... What is expected of dads? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, as I say, it's, it's not something I would want to do. Thanks for that. Okay. Regarding offenders, uh, Ali, it's time for a policy to catch up with the research. A criminal is a criminal. These traits start in early childhood and by the age of 16 are already often entrenched and chronic, to quote consultant forensic psychologist John Marshall. Petty political correctness dilutes the seriousness of offending behaviour. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, You're calling it petty political correctness. And this is, uh, just in case you you missed it, uh, the Labour MSP for Edinburgh South, Daniel Johnson, has requested a change that someone who commits a crime is no longer called an offender. 
It's been written out of a new law. They're now going through the Scottish Parliament because of fears it will stigmatise them. Instead, it will be replaced with a relevant person. Um, I was asking, is this another case of political correctness going too far? Daniel Johnson said no. It is when someone is moving forward through the system. And he made it quite clear. He's very keen on that if if someone floats the system, comes out, has a tag, gets rid of the tag, commits more crimes, then uh, uh, the criminal justice system should come down fairly heavy. Uh, Another one from Bill in Aberdeen. Uh, Mr Johnson, I think is a wage wasted if that's all he has to think about. By the way, I am an ex-pupil of Turriff Academy. Bill in Aberdeen, thank you for that. Uh, Let's go back to uh, assisted dying. We were talking about that earlier today as well. And here's uh, one. I'm just going to abbreviate it, Martha, because it's uh, fairly lengthy, this email. Uh, Morning, Ali. First of all, my heart goes out to Kay and her family for the heartbreaking situation they're in. The doctor who advocates care, not kill, seems to me to believe that life is for living regardless of levels of pain or lack of dignity. Uh, he was a, he, I don't think he was a doctor. I think he was um, uh, someone with uh, a church background. But, I, uh, you know, he wasn't introduced as a doctor. But thanks for that, Martha. Uh, it goes on to say his view is that the main reason anyone wants to have assisted death is that they feel a burden. I would disagree. Personally, constant pain for which there is no relief would be the top of my list of reasons, followed by the frustration of incapacity and the lack of dignity. Thank you very much indeed to Ali Thompson, who's the Director of Dignity in Dying Scotland, for joining us on that one. Also, Kay Smith from Co-Winning, who told us her heartbreaking story as well. Gordon MacDonald came on from Care for Not Killing, which is against any change. And thank you very much indeed to you for your views on that as well. Also regarding offenders, calling them relevant persons, thanks to the Labour MSP for Edinburgh South, Daniel Johnson, for coming on and telling us the idea behind that. And also, of course, we were talking about is it time the equality revolution was extended to fathers? If you missed any of that, then you can listen to the programme again on our podcast. You'll get that on the station website into to podcasts there. Uh, you'll get that from tomorrow lunchtime. It will be up there for you to listen to the programme once again.